Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. One of the most powerful positions in local government is the district attorney. The DA decides all kinds of things, like whether to prosecute people or whether an officer is charged in police shootings. But unlike presidents and mayors and senators, the DA is a role that doesn't get a lot of attention on Election Day. Next month, San Francisco residents will cast their vote on a number of races, including for district attorney. Today, why the DA's race matters and how the job of San Francisco's top cop is all about politics. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Why has there always been an incumbent in the DA's race in San Francisco? I don't know if there's any particular answer to that other than the fact that they've tended to stick around for a while. Scott Schaefer is senior editor of KQED's Politics and Government Desk. He's also the co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown podcast. There's also no term limits for district attorneys, so uh, they can, you know, run for re-election as many times as they'd like. And, you know, as it has turned out, they're, they've done that. They, they have done that. And then there's also some incidents where people have been uh, appointed to the job before an election. So, you know, it's a combination of those things. Can we take a step back and talk about what the district attorney actually does? Like, what's the range of things they're responsible for? Well, the district attorney is responsible for deciding whether or not to charge people with crimes, what to charge them with, conduct trials to deal with pleas, plea bargains. They are the gatekeeper. You know, when the police hand over evidence to the district attorney, you know, they decide whether to pursue something, whether to press charges at all, whether to seek a plea. So they have a lot of power and they have a lot of discretion. Uh, I think that in many ways, the district attorney position in California, but throughout the country, is one of the least understood and least appreciated in terms of just how much power they have. You mentioned the discretion. Like, what's a modern example of when the DAs had to make a, a call that everybody was watching and they had to balance these, these sides, both like what people wanted the DA's office to do, but then also just the political pressure of making their call? Right here in San Francisco, Kamala Harris. In San Francisco, it is the will, I believe, of a majority of people that the most severe crimes be met with the most severe consequences and that life without possibility of parole is a severe consequence. She got elected DA in 2003. She ran promising never to seek the death penalty. California and San Francisco is very anti-death penalty. That was very consistent with both her views but also her constituents. Well, a few months into office, a San Francisco police officer is shot and killed in the line of duty. Just 29 
Espinoza was gunned down with an AK-47 by a 21-year-old gang member. A new district attorney had just been elected in San Francisco, Kamala Harris, her first elected position. A lot of people wanted her to break her promise and seek the death penalty, which she did not do. Three days after Officer Espinoza's death, Harris held a news conference pledging to keep a campaign promise, no death penalty. Diane Feinstein at the officer's funeral actually called her out and said there should be a death penalty in this case. So you don't have to look any further than San Francisco for, for, for a case like that. Gary Delanus, the man standing next to Harris, was the president of the San Francisco Police Officers Association at the time. You're thinking to yourself, okay, is she sorry that this kid died or is this just a political opportunity? Is this just an opportunity for... I know the DA is supposed to be very fact-based and supposed to look at, you know, what are the facts and then make their decision. But it also seems like there's a lot of politics involved in, in the DA's There office. is. I mean, and there's a lot of politics in the police department, often in the fire department, sometimes in the sheriff's office. So, uh, you know, whenever you have a fair amount of power and authority, uh, especially if you are running for re-election or for election, there's going to be politics. You can't really separate the two. And in San Francisco, is there a special place for the politics? Yeah. For decades, San Francisco has had this, I don't want to say lethal, but toxic stew of politics and law enforcement kind of getting all mixed up in various ways, in different ways. Uh, Going back to 1978, San Francisco had just implemented district elections. And San Francisco has a very diverse group of supervisors, including Dan White, who was a former cop, very close to the police officers, and Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay elected official in San Francisco. And so they were actually friendly. Uh, But uh, in the end, Dan White came into Harvey Milk's office and shot him after he shot and killed the mayor. A few moments later, Dan White surrendered to the police. This is a stunned city. There are those who spoke of the charm and youthful ability of Dan White. There were many who thought someday he could have been mayor of this city. Rick Davis, NBC News. And the way that the police treated Dan White once he was arrested, uh, the way in which he was questioned, uh, the kinds of opportunities they gave him to uh, tell the story in a way that might be helpful to him, uh, raised a lot of questions. And the DA at the time, who was unable to get a conviction on anything other than uh, two manslaughter charges, you know, it just led to outrage in the city on the part of certainly the gay, gay and lesbian community, but others as well who saw that it was a total miscarriage of justice. Hundreds of them descended on City Hall to be met with police batons. And so that's just one example of how in San Francisco, law enforcement, DA, police, mayor's office kind of get caught up in these uh, stews, as I said, this kind of toxic stew of politics and law enforcement. How do we see the relationship between the DA's office and local law enforcement playing out in this current race? Well, you had a district attorney, George Gascon, who had been the former police chief, but was really not well-liked at all in the, by the San Francisco police, which he used to you know, be the head of. As district attorney, there's been a lot of tension. Uh, Gascon was born in Cuba, high school dropout, became one of the real champions, one of the the most liberal district attorney in California, really, on criminal justice reform. The cops didn't really like that. I would say that we have to hack 
our justice system. And the first hack is that we have to turn our core system upside down. And so when he stepped down uh, to announce that he was going to run potentially for district attorney in Los Angeles, the police were quite happy with that. Hmm. Um, However, you know, the candidates who are running, four of them, uh, one of them, uh, Chesa Boudin, has never been a prosecutor, is very liberal. His parents were both incarcerated. Uh, His dad is still in prison. uh, Really? uh, Having to do with a, uh, they they were part of the weather underground. So he, uh, you know, has a very liberal, you know, some might say radical pedigree. My earliest memories are visits to my parents in prison just to give them a hug. Years of walking through steel gates taught me how profoundly broken our criminal justice system is. That's why I became a public defender, where I provide equal justice for people who can't afford a lawyer. As district attorney... And so to see someone like him running for district attorney sent shivers down the spines of a number of people, apparently including the mayor, London Breed. George Gascon's resignation as DA earlier this month came as a surprise. It happened right in the middle of the race for DA. The day after he resigned, Mayor London Breed made an announcement. She picked Susie Loftus to serve as the city's interim top prosecutor. Loftus is one of the candidates in the race. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant for a couple of reasons. But uh, first of all, this was going to be the first election in modern San Francisco where there was no incumbent running right. for DA, and that levels the playing field. So to appoint Susie Loftus uh, as the sort of interim DA just a couple of weeks before the election, uh, you know, there, there's a sense of uh, almost interfering with a free and fair election. You know, you're unleveling the playing field. Uh, and it's the mayor is hoping to give her a leg up. Uh, now, the ballots are already printed, so it's not going to say incumbent next oh, to her yeah, name. Yeah, right. um, it's not going to give her necessarily a big boost in fundraising. Uh, so it, it, it remains to be seen what advantages there are. But there's also a big risk, which is, and we're already seeing this play out, is protests on the part of supporters of the other three candidates who are crying foul that the mayor right. is you know, interfering with this election. So who are the other candidates then? And what do the candidates tell us about where the DA's office could head? Well, I think you have to say that all four of these candidates uh, share a certain uh, position on things like uh, Proposition 47. They all support it. That was an, you know, the issue that Gascon had championed, and it reduced some drug crimes from felonies to misdemeanors. Uh, they support police reform and more accountability. They all support this law that Gavin Newsom signed that's going to uh, make it uh, tighten up the rules for police use of deadly force. They all, they all agree on that. Where it starts to you know, break apart is you've got Chesa Boudin, who has never been a prosecutor, comes from the public defender's office, um, saying that he actually wants to reduce the budget of the district attorney's office. In his view, we're putting too many people in prison. Um, We should be looking at things like reform and rehabilitation, fewer, um, you know, uh, trials involving drugs, uh, more... um, uh, he wants to try to avoid taking DUI cases to trial. And the other three are saying, wait a minute, that, no, uh, you know, this, DUIs are not victimless crimes. You know, you can't send the signal that driving while under the influence is, uh, is, is an okay thing to do. Uh, so th- that's where things begin to, to, to break apart. I believe safety belongs to all of us, no matter where you live. Susie Loftus has 
credentials in the law enforcement community. She was president of the San Francisco Police Commission. She's now a lawyer for the sheriff. She's saying, look, I wanna, I wanna change the system too, but you know, we also have to keep people safe. I'm running for district attorney of San Francisco to restore some accountability to our criminal justice system. Then you've got Leif Douch, who is the youngest of the candidates, 34 years old, works for the state attorney general. You know, and he's also somewhat liberal, uh, but I would, if you on the spectrum, I would put him maybe uh, after Susie Loftus moving toward the right. Our criminal justice system cannot continue to ignore victims and everyday crimes that affect us all. And then you've got Nancy Tung, who is a career prosecutor, 18 years as a prosecutor, 16 of them here in San Francisco. Now she's in Alameda County, and she is clearly the most sort of tough on crime of the four candidates. There's a growing national consensus that the criminal justice system is broken. Chesa Boudin is by far the most liberal of these four candidates, and he is really calling for overhauling the entire criminal justice system in San Francisco. Now, Susie Loftus and the others also want reform, but I, th I think there's no question that Boudin has the most comprehensive and far-reaching ideas uh, about how to change the system. I know that the DA has a lot of power in terms of prosecuting or not prosecuting police officers and officer-involved shootings, and clearly there's a lot of attention being paid to officer-involved shootings right now. Um, did any of the candidates say anything about how they would handle these shootings? All four of the candidates, from the most liberal to the most conservative, have said they support reforms that will tighten up the rules around police use of deadly force. Uh, the question is the gray areas. You know, even with this new state law, there is still going to be a lot of discretion over whether or not to charge a police officer. Do you think that issue alone would motivate voters? I think voters who are really motivated by that are real, probably playing, paying closer attention than a lot of other people, and they've probably made up their mind. I don't think they're necessarily persuadable. One of my takeaways is, like, it's a very powerful position. It's been very politically assigned for a long time, and a lot of people don't know what the position is, yeah. but it has so much power. You know, there's an old expression that... AG stands for aspiring governor. Uh, the point being that <laughs> attorneys general or DAs, that's a really good stepping stone for right. higher office. So you saw, for example, Kamala Harris, the DA in San Francisco, running for the Senate. Now she's running for president. What do you think changes people's decision when they're placing their vote for a DA candidate? Like, especially in, in this moment in a city like San Francisco, where the public pressure for accountability and, and doing the right thing is so strong. Like, what do you think is going to push one candidate over, over another to win? Well, first of all, I think voters are not really paying close attention to this election. I, I heard one poll that 70 percent of likely voters couldn't name any of the candidates. Hmm. People don't pay attention until the election gets closer. But the question, I think, is when people go to the polls, which part of them is going to hmm. uh, is going to make the decision on hmm. who they vote for? Is it going to be that people who are fed up with seeing drug dealing and syringes on the streets, or is it going to be people who are proud of San Francisco being a sanctuary city, uh, a place where police are held accountable for things? I mean, which of those parts of the brain is going to dominate uh, when people go to the polls? You know, we, when we think about these offices, we tend to think about big issues like, oh, let's get rid of cash bail, or let's stop incarcerating young people. And those are very legitimate issues. But really, uh, when it comes down to quality of life, I mean, those are things that are really top of mind for a lot of voters. San Francisco residents have already received their ballots in the mail. Election Day is November 5th. 
Scott says more people are starting to pay attention to DA races, including progressives with a lot of money, like billionaire George Soros. Soros threw cash behind progressive candidates in Alameda County, an example of how people are starting to wake up to the power of district attorneys. Scott Schaefer is senior editor of KQED's Politics and Government Desk. He also co-hosts the Political Breakdown podcast. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you Wednesday. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.